0: Uh, I'm really excited to preach. Thank you for letting me do this. I love preaching. It's always more of a blessing to me. Hopefully, you get something out of it, too. But I really take this seriously. Thank you so much for letting me do this. And uh, I'm in the light, so I'll pray and we'll get going. Okay. Father, there is so much truth in your word, it is a gold mine, and we don't want to stop until we have seen the fullness of what you have for us in your word. So bless us this morning. Bless our endeavor to try and see you through the word that you have given us. Father, be lifted up. Jesus, be praised. And Spirit, be present. We know that you will answer our prayers because they have been bought with the blood of our high priest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the title of the sermon this morning and the one question, it's a one-point sermon that we're going over, is what were we saved for? This is the one thing we're going to try to wrap our heads around. And our text is John 17. So we're going to go to John 17 and think about one question. But before we turn there, I want to talk about why I believe this is an important question to ask. Why ought we to spend a morning thinking about this question? And here's my answer. Because I believe it is possible and maybe even common for, for Christians to be able to answer this question. You can answer this question truthfully. We were saved to glorify God, or we were saved to be in a relationship with God. Amen. Absolutely true. But what I'm saying is, my thesis, is there is m- so much more in the way Jesus talks about what we were saved for. The way our Lord talks about this question is, is meaningful and, and solid and, and a thing you can get dirt under your fingernails, a- and, those, and if we leave the answer kind of airy, what were we saved for? And we answer with kind of general epithets, even if they're true. Even if you answer truthfully, but you don't reflect the way Jesus talks about what we were saved for, then you're missing what he has for us in the text. And uh, follow this. If you, if you don't talk about salvation in, in an existential kind of way, in a way that's in your blood, the way Jesus does, then, then not only are we missing what's in the text, but we're also kind of insulting the person we're talking about, right? So if I talk to you, if we're talking about human relationships, people you love or your spouse or your kids, and you say true things, but they're all kind of airy statements, they're all kind of nebulous facts about these people, that's, that's actually insulting. I hope you would have emotional, in-your-blood kind of things to say about the person you married or your kids or the people you love. Because to not speak that way is, is kind of a dig. So I want us to talk about this question in, in an existential way. I'm bringing it down. I'm, I'm, we're doing one thing. We're talking about what we were saved for and bringing it down so we can feel it and stand on it and live in it. We're going to get some teeth on the answer. Okay, it's really important that you get the logic of what we're doing before I read the text or you're going to be lost. So are you all with me? You need to answer out loud that you're with me. Okay, we're here. Okay, (laughs) thanks, Dad. You can be a quieter. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, thanks. And our text is John 17. So I'm going to set up one thing about John 17 before we go there. John 17 is the last thing Jesus says before he is crucified. Before the passion of our Christ begins, this is what he prays. It's 26 verses. It is God the Son talking to God the Father about your salvation. He says, Amen, and is crucified. While he is praying this, Judas is getting money from the Pharisees. While he is talking, his friend is betraying him. He says, Amen, and dies for us. So, so that's what's going on. Uh, it's a 26-verse prayer. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's 650 words in the ESV, and uh, it takes about three minutes to read. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to walk around in the text and try to find an answer. So we're all on the train. We all know what we're doing? Okay, here we go. I'm going to read Jesus' last prayer. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me Amen. Wow. So whatever happens this morning, it's a great morning because we all get to read that beautiful passage. I've studied this probably, I've read through it probably like 40 times to prepare. And it's still as, it's amazing. This is one of the most precious passages in Scripture. This is so beautiful. But but remember, I'm not going to try to hit on every word. We're we're going through this awesome scripture with our one strand in mind, which is thinking about the question, the theology question, what were we saved for? What does our salvation bring us to? So we're looking for the one strand throughout the tapestry of this awesome passage. Okay? But that's amazing. I could just end the sermon and it would still be good because that's awesome. But I'm going to try to answer our one question through this prayer. Okay? And here's how to go. Here's how to start. Uh, I'm going to make some observation. I'm going to make an observation about the text by walking around in it, and hopefully, once you see this thing in the text, once I show you this observation in the text, that will help us move to the answer. So here's the observation about the text that is going to move us to understanding what we were saved for. The observation is that there is a framework that Jesus has. It's this same three-part framework, this same three-part uh, structure that he repeats, he recapitulates this same three-part thing over and over and over again throughout the prayer. He first talks about some aspect of his relationship with the Father, their joy or their peace or their unity or their separateness from the world. And then Jesus talks about his ministry. He says, through his ministry, he has manifested the Father's name or he he has done something for us. And then Jesus talks about how through his ministry, we are brought into that same part of his relationship with the Father. It's the same three-part structure. It's a swoop. The passage swoops over and over. So I need you to see the swoop and feel the swoop with me. Be the swoop. I'm going to show you the swoop. Over and over so that you're in the brain of Jesus. Jesus' brain is thinking in this three-step process. And so I'm going to try to show you it in the text, okay? So let's look at the prayer and find the swoop. Verses 4 and 5 is an easy one right here. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So, so now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that we had before the world existed. So Jesus is out of order here. He first talks about present, and then he says, I glorified you on earth. Bring me into the glory of your presence with the glory that we had before the world existed. Do you see it? The three-part thing? Look at another one. Verses 6 through 8. So I took out the the extra clauses, but the bare bones of this sentence, the three clauses of this sentence is, is, I have manifest your name. You sent me into the world to manifest your name. Now, keep them in your name. Jesus says, I was sent by the Father into the world to, through my life and death and through what I am, show the world the name of God. I have done that. I'm leaving. Now, keep the church, keep the elect in the name of the Father. You see the swoop? Out loud, you have to say yes or I'm going to keep saying it. Thank you. Out loud, we see the swoop. Let's look at another one because it's all over here. Verses 12 through 14. I am not of the world, the world has hated me, and the world has hated, or will continue, depending on people who know Greek, them. So it's a three-phase thing. But this one's negative. This one's not positive. He's saying, I'm not from the world. I came to the world, and they didn't like me. They're actually going to kill me. Now I'm leaving the world, and they're not going to like you. So it's a negative swoop, but it's still the same thing. You see, the same, he's just talking about the same three phases of his existence, from different angles, like a diamond with different lights. The glory, this is just one sentence. He does the whole swoop in one sentence. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. So some, some aspect of the glory of this relationship, the Father and the Son, the glory of that moment, Jesus has given that to us. Not a reflection of it, not a portion, not, a, not an analogy of it. He has given us this glory so that they may be one, so that the church may be one in the way that the Father and the Son have this glory. You see the swoop. Now, Dr. Fairburn, he's the, this, I I usually have like a book recommendation in the sermon. This is my book recommendation. And it's called Life in the Trinity. And he goes through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John. It's just walking through this passage. And he counts 20, now I use the word swoop. He uses a different uh, redemptive historical arc is what he uses. I say it's a swoop. He says there are 26 swoops in this upper room discourse. He counts it 26 times. Jesus does the same thing. Dr. Hart, he teaches at Moody. uh, He teaches the Gospel of John. And he says in the whole Gospel, from from chapter 1 to chapter 21, Jesus does it 72 times. So uh, like John 3.16, for example, is even kind of one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life right it 's kind of like weak, but you see it there right throughout the whole gospel of john so um, i don 't know it 's a little subjective when you see this, when you see the ark or when you don 't So people who are really specific on statistics, maybe this is a little high, but you get the point that that they, this is in John. this is the way jesus thinks you 're in jesus 's brain when you 're thinking this way, that Jesus is in the relationship with the Father. He comes to us. He lives his life and dies for us to bring us into part of this relationship. That's how, he, that's how your Lord thinks. Okay? And this is how he ends his prayer. This is the last thing our Savior says before he is betrayed. These are his last words for us. They know that you have sent me. They know that I'm from you. I have made your name known. I have been a faithful servant of you, Father, so that... Your love may be in them, and I may be in them. Amen. Let's go get crucified. That's how he ends. They know that you sent me. I've made your name known so that I may be in them. Amen. I'm going to die for you. That's how he ends, with the swoop. Okay, so I've repeated that word a million times so that for the rest of your life, when you read the Gospel of John or 1 John, the epistle, or there's different ways to read revelation, but I would say when you read revelation, this is all over the place, the swoop. The rest of your life, when you see this, I want you to think of me saying this word a million times. I'm trying to annoy you with the word. But do you get the point? Out, how, what, how, out loud. You get it. Dad, swoop, you're with me here. Okay, we see it in the text. We've gone through the prayer, seeing the structure of Jesus of thinking. We're all good. So now, but we haven't answered our question yet. We're still trying, remember our question is, what were we saved for? We're trying to zero in on the answer to that question. So here's how we're going to get to it. We're going to look at the ends of the swoops, okay? We're going to look at all of the things that Jesus says, this is what you were saved for. All of the so that sentences. And then from that, try to construct the answer, what were you saved for? Do you get that logic of how I'm hermeneutically working through the text? Okay, you've got to be with me, otherwise this is just going to sound insane. Which maybe it is, but you're still with me, so okay. So here's, here's the ends of the swoop. This is what Jesus says in his prayer, this is what you were saved for. Verse 22, that they may be given the glory of the Son. Not a refracted glory, not an analogy of the glory. The glory that Jesus has with the Father through his ministry is ours. We are brought into the glory of that relationship. Not standing off as servants, though that would be wonderful in itself. We are brought into the glory of the relationship of the Trinity. That we may be loved with the love that the Father has for the Son. Is that not one of the most precious verses in Scripture? John 17, 23. The love of this moment, the triune God, in perfect self-sustaining love, through Jesus' ministry, You are not loved as a servant. You are loved by God the Father in the way the Father loves Jesus. With everything you've done wrong and all of everything in here, he sees it and he loves you in the way he loves Jesus. That's what you're saved for. That we may be one, we church may be one even as God is one. We're saved for our unity to look something like the unity of the Trinity. Our, he saved us for, for a unity that transcends what the world can give. This community ought to be just so different than anything the world can produce because it is, it is the unity that God himself has. That's what we're saved for. That we may have the joy of Jesus in us. If there's ever been a verse for John Piper, this is a Christian hedonist verse. Amen. Yes, this is, this is a Valleybrook verse. We are saved for the joy that Jesus has. This is what he's praying. That the joy of Jesus, that whatever joy Jesus has in this relationship, you are saved to have that joy in you. Not a refraction of it, not a glory, not a not an analogy of it, not a simile of it. You are saved to have the joy of Jesus in you. We may be not of the world. Jesus did not care about the world system. He didn't walk around caring about what the world has to say and you're saved to live your life in the same way and that we may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus says, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, In thinking about this verse, I looked at a Puritan. He preached 40 sermons on verse 19. So I did not read them. (laughs) But uh, Jesus says, I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. So I think we've brought it down a little bit, right? We're moving in on our answer. What were you saved for? We're like circling the answer. It's it's a little lower. It's you were saved to glorify God. Amen. You were saved to be in a relationship with God. Amen. But Jesus says you were saved, and he gives six solid answers that you can hold. These are we're getting it into us now. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm trying to Bring what you were saved for into us. And these are Jesus' six answers. But here's the thing. These six are are merely the, the rivulets. These are the, the, the waterways that come from the main stream. These are the rays coming from the sun of what you were really saved for. These are the effects of the true cause. What you were truly redeemed to be in uh, is in verse 21. I'm saying. This is my thesis and from my study, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may be in us. John 17, 21, just as I am in you, this relationship, Father, between me and you, just as we are mutually indwelling one another. That they, Jesus prays that you may be in that relationship. Not that you stand off and look at it, but that whatever it means for the Trinity to indwell one another, you are saved to participate in the Trinity. You are saved to be in the divine life. You are saved to be a part of God's self love. You are in the Trinity as thoroughly as Jesus is, as much as the Father loves Jesus and as much as Jesus loves the Father and as the Spirit through the Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit through the Father glorifies the Son, you are brought into that world of joy. That's what you're saved for. Now, I know that's kind of a heavy pill. That's like a big thing to think about. That's a big concept. So... I got a few weeks ago, I talked to the youth group about how I could teach this to the adults. So I got a good, helpful illustration from the youth group. So here is the illustration that me and the youth group came up with. So if you're having pro- problems with this concept after the sermon, find a youth and they'll help you out. <laughs> Here's the concept that we came up with this is an overview of the whole system. Here it is, simply. In the beginning was God, there was the Trinity. In perfect, self-sustaining, existential, intensely emotional, not lacking anything, not in need of anything, trinity in joy. This is God. And then the next big move, stuff happens. God made stuff. And there was good guys and there was bad guys and there was kings and kingdoms and people sat on thrones and people sat in white houses and there was wars and there was elections and then we got born and we do stuff. And we live and we die. And when we're dead, more stuff will happen. Stuff happens. And then at the end of it, after all the stuff happens after Judgment Day, if you are in Christ, you are redeemed to be brought into God in the way the Trinity participated with one another before the stuff happened. Richard Dawkins wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And so this is a briefer history of time. That's all of it. (laughs) The Trinity... Stuff happens you brought into the Trinity. And then they said I should put a heart around it. Okay? There it is. Now, we actually have been talking about a theology word. And the, the word here, so the answer to our question is theosis. Everyone say it out loud. Theosis, which is the theology vocabulary for union with God. So, in short, the answer to our question, what were you saved for, is Theosis, you are saved to be brought into the triune life, union with God. Okay? Okay? Yeah? Good? Now, (laughs) okay, thanks, Dad. (laughs) Now, uh, for the sake of, like, theological precision, I put this up here just to, because, yeah, what I am talking about with theosis is union with God relationally. You are part of God in your relationship, which is orthodox. This is, is a heresy, henosis. Everyone say, boo, henosis. This is the heresy that would say, you, you are one with God, you are united with the Trinity in your, like, essence. You become part of God or something. The way that a drop of water becomes part of the ocean. Right? And that's, that's bad. I'm obviously not saying you become God. That's, I don't even really feel the need to argue against that because it's just so obviously not what the Bible teaches. You will never be divine but you are brought into the divine relationship relationally. You are united to God as intimately and existentially and personally as you possibly can, but you're obviously not becoming God. So we didn't cover that in youth group, but just for the sake of precision, I thought I should put that in there. Okay? Okay. So here's a, uh, I wanted, I'm going to go through the next part really quick, but I have some quotes of people through church history who really get this. They understand what it means to be saved. To be with God. And it's in their blood. And it's how they live. And it comes through their pen. And it comes through their tongue. And they get what you're saved for. To be part of God. So here's a thing from Lewis. But it's not just a quote. This is like a saying he would say regularly. It's in a number of his books. In different genres. And he would preach this way. This is a saying. This age is the age of sorrow. But the coming age is the age of And you would expect him to say the age of joy. This is the age of sorrow. The coming age is the age of redemption or joy or something. But he says the coming age is the age of the Trinity. In Lewis's mind, the reason that this world is so painful, the reason it hurts so much is because we are estranged from the relationship we were intended to have, which is being in the triune life. And the reason the next age will be without sorrow is because of nothing other than we will be in the triune life. You see, it's the way he's thinking. It's just a part of him that reality is that we are being brought into the triune life and the reason that life hurts is because we aren't that way right now. And then I have a quote from Calvin and a quote from Augustine and this is really good. We can talk about this in connection time but I'm going to skip over it right now because... Uh, we, uh, we don't have time. But this is really good. Trust me. It's really good. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. The most fundamental thing a Christian is, is a sinner in God, in Christ. The most, what I am, what is Caleb most fundamentally, I am a sinner who, by being in Christ, have been brought into God. That's the most fundamental thing a Christian is. But he said it with a cool Scottish theological accent so he sounds much more convincing but but he gets it that's what you're that's what you are who you are when you look in the mirror is a sinner in God if you are in Christ you get that yes, amen. thanks dad okay so i've well for the next part of it i still want to bring it down a little more cuz i think we got our answer we've we've learned more about what we were saved for but it's still not it's still not i don't I want to talk about how it's in your schedule. Like the next 24 hours of your schedule, what does this mean? You're going to go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow, and, and you have to live life, and, and it's still a little erudite. It's still a little bit, you are saved to be in God, Is still a little bit up there. So for the rest of the sermon, I, I just want to talk about this verse and bring it down a little bit more. And I have like four or five things to say, and then I'm in, and then that's it. Okay? So I'll take the foot off the gas pedal. <laughs> And we can all take a breath. We're done with the answer. We got our answer. We're saved for theosis, Amen. and <laughs> I'll slow it down a little bit, and I'll like, and and we're just going to try to bring it. We're going to try to like bring it into our life in the next 24 hours. What does this mean for you? So uh, I'll tell a story. Here's the story of. Here's what I do at school. So I go to school during the week, and I uh, I go to classes, and then I go to work. I teach kids chess. That's my job, and I, it's really fun. So I go and teach them chess for a while. And then I get back, and uh, what I did, my schedule's changed. Now it's cold. But for a long time, after I would get back from teaching kids chess, I would get my pocket New Testament and walk down to Lake Michigan. It's .8 miles from uh, Moody. So I get my pocket New Testament. I put my chess bags away, walk down to the pier, and there's this concrete pier, and I'd go and I'd read my Bible on the pier, and i pace around uh, very sim- and I use my hands, and it's, it's really similar to what's going on right now. And I, <laughs> I'm reading my Bible on the pier, and the same people are there, like, at the same time of day, every day. So we're all, it's like cheers. We all know each other's names a little bit. And, <laughs> like, there's a, there was one guy, I don't actually know his name, but his dog's name was Toby. And they would jump in the water and chase after a tennis ball and wrestle for a tennis ball and then get up. And so Toby and his human are doing that. And uh, and there was a homeless guy who I became friends with and we would talk about the bears and stuff and we're buddies. And um, then when he found out that I was reading the Bible, he would, he would be like, he would tell people to not distract me. Don't distract him. He's doing the work of God. Don't, don't touch him. So I, I had him kind of like defending me. And so I, I'm walking in the pier and it's like kind of late. So the sun is setting. Are you there? Am I painting the picture? You're with me Amen. in Chicago. You feel the, the lake breeze? Yeah. So I'm there. I'm reading my Bible. This is, this is what I do. Here's the point. In, in that moment when I'm memorizing the Bible for a youth group, I'm, memori- I'm trying to memorize First Peter so I can teach the youth group First Peter. And I'm walking back and forth. That, in that moment, is when I am in the Trinity. That is when I am with God, seeing him through the text. It's not ecstatic emotion, although my emotions are certainly involved. It's not just intellectual. I'm not trying to put together perfect reformed baptist covenant theology, but my mind is involved. It's it's me in the text seeing God and my my whole being is there, but it's it's just it's just me walking on a pier with my Bible. And that is when you are in the Trinity and you're seeing him. A- and that is is what you are saved for, to be with him in the book he wrote. You get you get how this is in your schedule now? You're saved to meet him in the text using your mind and your emotion. But it's not just theology and it's not just emotive, it's seeing him. And, and the way this works with your life then is because when that is what you're living for, when seeing him in the text is the best part of your day, you can't at the same time turn around and love your sin. You can't love to look here and love to look at pornography. You can't love to look here and love to gossip. You can't love to look here and hold on to your flesh. This is how you kill the flesh. Fighting sin isn't just having better willpower. I'm going to stop doing bad things. Fighting the flesh is loving this more so you don't want this. The reason Jesus didn't sin isn't because he just had the best self-discipline. It's because whatever Satan was offering isn't even close to his relationship with the Father. So there's no, there's no, real, there's no real joy in this. Of course I'm not going to turn around when I have this relationship. Do you see how theosis is the foundation of your sanctification? Union with God is the beginning of you killing your flesh. The degree to which your old man still rules your life is the degree to which this isn't enough for you. The reason you still love this is because you don't love this enough. And and sanctification, the other way. Because being more like Christ isn't just not doing bad things. Being more like Christ is is loving your neighbor and wanting to live life to the glory of God. So so when I see this and I'm, I'm walking on the pier and I see God and I'm in the text and then I close the book and I go back, I, you can't not have compassion on your neighbor because this person was made in the image of the God that I love. And I can't not enjoy Chess or reading or, or exercising to the glory of God. I can't not enjoy just walking around to the glory of God because, because all of that is enjoyed as a derivative of this thing. Don't you want to be the person who doesn't just not sin, but you care about your neighbor? You can't just like work it up. I'm going to love my neighbor more. The, the way to love this person and have real empathy for them is to look in the face of the God who made them in his image. That's how your sanctification grows. Not by working it up, but by making theosis the foundation of your life. You see, I'm getting it into us. What you're saved for should affect the way you walk and the way you teach kids chess and the way you walk around Oz Park and the way you love your neighbor comes from this. Okay? I have like, I I have one and a half more things to say and then we'll be done. Okay. One and a half more things to say. Theosis here, union with God, it's also, it's the way that we help the hurting world. I'm, I'm sick of Christians who have trite answers to suffering, who, who ignore pain because every day with Jesus is better than the day before. Shut up. This, this, this is a sermon, I'm sorry. This, this is how you deal with suffering. These words come from the mouth of a man who is about to be stripped naked and flogged. These words are how you deal with suffering. You look someone who's hurting in the face and you don't say, stop feeling bad, God is good. You say, I get your pain, life is bad. But what God is saving you for is union with him. You are brought into the divine relationship. And I know life hurts, but God loves you in the way he loves Jesus. This theosis is the foundation of our theodicy. Theodicy is how can a good God let us hurt a good God lets us hurt at least part of that answer. At least part of that answer is because he has saved us to bring us into him. This, this getting what you were saved for, is how you help a hurting world. Not putting a band-aid on it. This is the balm in Gilead. Do you see how we walk around in this answer? Okay, that was my one point. Now I have half a point left. If this is not you, though, if, if when I talk about about union with God, you don't get what I'm talking about. If Christianity is about making a moral nation or a moral family or the right way to do church exactly or the perfect theology and, and when I talk about union with God, you don't even get it. If that's not part of your life, then isn't that exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do work in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because it's possible to make Christianity about moral rules and good theology and the right way to fix your life up, but not this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, If most of your energy is spent regarding the politics of this world, it is most likely because you are a citizen of the wrong kingdom. By politics, he doesn't mean political parties, although that's part of it. He just means any of the minutiae. If your energy is spent on fixing the right stuff but your energy isn't, if you don't love to talk about union with God, if you're quick to talk about people who are wrong, if you're quick to talk about how the world is bad, that's true. But I want people who are quick to talk about union with God. This is where our energy should be. Otherwise, it's just you don't get it because what you were saved for is this. So that's the negative part. The the positive part is if you do get it, though. If if you are quick to talk with me about union with God, if you love strolling with him in the cool of the day, and when I talk about union with God, you know what I mean. You, You get that. The theosis you might not know that word but you know it you know theosis you are one with god then the only thing to say is keep going he is this he is the ocean you will never finish swimming in he is the story that will never end you will never be bored in this relationship being in him is the joy that will continue eternally and every day will in heaven be better than the day before because you're seeing more of an infinite person so Valleybrook, the only thing to say if you do get theosis is keep going because this is the story that will never end. This is the joy that will never run out. And he says this and then he prays and then he dies for you to buy it. This is what you were saved for. Hopefully I brought it down and into you a little bit so you can live it out. I'm going to pray. Worship team can come on up. Father, you are so good to us. You have not redeemed us to be mere servants, though that would be wonderful. You have not saved us to be mere worshipers, though that would be wonderful. You have saved us to love us in the way you love the Son. You have brought us into the divine relationship, and that is the source of our joy. I pray that Valleybrook and myself would come to recognize that, and that would be a part of our life. Spirit, apply this to our souls, and I know that you will answer our prayers because they were bought with the blood of our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.